reading today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and her neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thank you, Sherry. Well, good morning, everyone. If uh, we haven't met yet, I'm part of the team, the staff team here as well. It's my pleasure to take us through these verses this morning. And uh, this is the second sermon in our series called Lost and Found. Last week, uh, Adam took us through um, a story where we learned that Jesus had gut-wrenching compassion for harassed and helpless people. We talked about God's heart of compassion for people who were lost. And it moved Jesus out on a mission to seek and save the lost. And that's what we're doing in the series. We're asking ourselves some questions. We're asking ourselves, what is God up to in the world? What is his goal? What is his mission? And we're asking ourselves, what is our part to play in this? What is God called BPCC to play in this? What is our role? And so we saw God's heart of compassion for the lost. And we learned that God is on a mission to bring us home to himself, to restore our broken relationship with him. And last week we saw that our first step in this mission is to pray. Jesus told his followers to pray that God might raise up more workers for the harvest, more people to go out and tell people the good news. And that's a fantastic step because if we're going to embrace God's mission, We begin by seeking the God who is leading the mission. Now as we get into Luke 15 verses 1 to 10 this morning, I want you to consider a question. Have you ever lost something that is dear to you before? I want you to have a think about that. Maybe you can find a memory. Have you ever lost something that is dear to you before? Maybe it was a treasured possession like a wedding ring. Maybe it was one of your own children at the shopping centre. Do you remember how you felt in that moment? What was the search like? If you found what was lost, how did that feel? 
Recently, uh, I lost two dogs out in the bush at Baliki's Rest. And uh, what I normally do is on my day off, I uh, go out to Baliki's Rest with my little dog, London, and I use it just to rest and relax a little bit. Here's uh, my little dog, London, on the screen. At Christmas time, with Christmas tinsel wrapped around her. So I took my, I was going to take my dog out this one morning. And you've got to understand that at this time, Michelle and I were between two houses. So we were staying with my parents-in-law at the time. And they have another boxer dog called Chloe. There's a picture of Chloe. I don't know what she was doing, but I was sitting there one day and she just went and sat on my dog and they didn't seem to care. Very placid, very, <laughs> thought it was hilarious. Anyway, Michelle told me this morning, why don't you take Chloe with you as well on this walk? And I said to her, no, I don't want to take Chloe because I just want to relax. I want the dogs to stay with me because I like to, I'm one of those people that lets London off the leash because she stays with me and, and that sort of thing. But my ever-wise wife said, no, she won't leave your side, take her with you. So her ever-trusting husband said, okay, I will. So I went to Baluki's Rest and I found myself walking with these two dogs and they started sniffing around and they started to run a bit further than was comfortable for me, but they came back and I was feeling a little bit nervous and I thought maybe by this time I should have put them on the leads, but they ran up over this hill where I couldn't see them. So I stopped where they ran off and I thought they'll come back to this point, I'll make it easy for them to find me. I stood there, I waited, I waited, I shouted, I whistled, I waited, and nothing. I could hear nothing, I could see nothing. They were just gone. And so I started to get a little bit nervous, so I started to walk around, I started to whistle, I started to call out their names, and that turned into running and frantically searching. You know, because I loved my little dog London, it caused me to go out on a relentless search for what was lost. And I also loved not being kicked out of my in-laws' home as well. So it was a relentless search, I can tell you that. I got in the car, I drove around, I kept looking around and shouting and searching and eventually, later on, a person met me on the walk and said someone else had found it and long story short, some kind soul had handed them into the vet and... uh, I went and got them from there. As they walked out, they were wagging their tails and I had a mixture of relief and anger in my heart. They had turned my morning of rest into an anxious search and rescue mission. Now, I wonder if you have a story like that. Do you remember a time when you searched for something that was lost? In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to tell us Two stories about something valuable that went missing and the resulting search to find it. And it's really important for us to listen in on this because it may challenge some of our assumptions about what it looks like to follow God. Why do I say this? Well, Jesus tells these stories in response to the religious leaders of his day. And it turns out that they were thinking and acting in ways that didn't actually align with God at all. And this should be a little surprising to us. I mean, wouldn't you assume that if anyone would be close to God, it would be the religious leaders of the community? But the stories reveal that their way of doing things is actually in conflict with the God they claim to worship. So we need to listen in because I know many of us here this morning claim to worship God and we have the opportunity this morning to ensure we understand him correctly so that we can worship him rightly. This is crucial for us as people. 
And if you're here this morning and, and you wouldn't call yourself religious, maybe you see yourself as a, a bit of an outsider to church, well, these stories are just as applicable to you. For they say something about God's attitude toward people just like you. They give you an inside look at his heart towards you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to all of us here this morning. So why don't we dive in and let's look at what God is saying to us through Luke 15. I'll read the first two verses for us again. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. It's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, if you're taking notes here, this is the first thing we see in this passage. Jesus attracts the outsider, but offends the religious. Jesus attracts the outsider, but offends the religious. Now, in order to see this point clearly, we're going to need to do a little bit of work on what's happening in this passage and who the characters are. So we have the Pharisees and scribes, and we have the sinners and tax collectors in these verses. The Pharisees and scribes are the religious group, and the sinners and tax collectors are the irreligious or the outsider group. And the Pharisees, they were kind of like the conservatives of Israel. They fiercely protected their traditions. They emphasized strict obedience to the law. And many of them, many people considered them kind of heroes of the faith. They were some of the most devout and faithful people in Israel. And the scribes, they were pretty much uh, Bible people. They were the ones who interpreted the, the Jewish law for people. So they were Bible experts. So you've got this religious group. And then you've got the irreligious group, the sinners and tax collectors. Now, the word sinner was a label used against anyone who did not follow the lifestyle or the teaching of a religious group, like the Pharisees, for example. Sinner was someone who did not live and worship God in ways that were approved by the religious community. And a tax collector, well, they were a sinner par excellence. They exemplified this category. They were considered beyond saving, beyond restoration. You see, they not only offended the religious, they estranged themselves from every single Jew in the nation because they had defected to the pagan empire, Rome. And they helped this pagan empire to take duties and levies and taxes from their own people. And on top of that, they skimmed a bit off the top for themselves. They took more for themselves to line their own pockets as well. So they were not just any sinner. They were tax collectors. They were traitors. They were despised. So we've got the very religious group, the scribes and Pharisees, and we've got the very irreligious, the outsider group, the sinners and tax collectors. There's one more piece of context that will help us understand these verses, and that is the significance of what's called table fellowship, of sharing a meal with someone else in ancient Israel. Eating with someone wasn't simply a chance to satisfy your appetite. It was a sign of fellowship and acceptance of one another. It was a deep and rich symbol of unity and friendship. So with this context under our belt, let's read our verses again and, and, and see what they're saying. Now the very irreligious tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the very religious Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so now we can 
start to grasp the shocking nature of these verses. The very religious, the supposed insiders in the things of God were standing on the sidelines, while the very irreligious, the outsiders, were drawing near to Jesus, this man of God, and even sharing meals with him. Jesus attracted the outsider, but offended the religious. And really, that, what underlies this situation is the dynamic of pride and humility. You see, the religious, they had their system for following God all worked out already. But Jesus didn't fit within their system. And rather than humbly learning from this incredible man of God who later turned out to be God in the flesh, they hardened their hearts. They were proud. They distanced themselves from Jesus. And eventually they were the ones who orchestrated his death. They murdered the God they claimed to worship. The sinners and tax collectors, however, they knew their need for help. They knew they were on the outside. And this realization created humility that attracted them to Jesus. It might be fair to say that Jesus was the first religious leader that didn't just turn away from them in disgust. He was a representative of God who had compassion on them. He had a desire to restore them back to God. He healed them and spoke to them. And and they were ready. They wanted in, and so they drew near to this Jesus who accepted them, ate them, and ate with them. (laughs) Jesus was not a cannibal. He did say, eat my flesh, but he didn't mean his actual flesh later on. (laughs) Jesus accepted them, ate with them, and taught them about the things of God. And so I want to ask, ask a question. I'll be serious now. Where do you see yourself in this picture? Who does your life most align with right now? Is it more like the Pharisees and scribes, you know, full of pride, got it all worked out, don't need anything from anyone, you know how God works? Or are you ready? Are you aware of your need and brokenness? Are you teachable before God? The proud were offended by Jesus but the humble were attracted to him. Let's think about our church for a moment. We learnt that Jesus attracted the outsider. Are we? Because a church that is reaching out with the love of Jesus will likely draw the same kind of people who were attracted to Jesus. Sinners and outcasts and outsiders. And so we need to ask ourselves, Who are the the sinners and outcasts in our city? What types of people, if you can think in your mind, are despised and avoided in our area of the world? And then ask, are they represented here? And if not, how can we begin to move towards them and reach out to them? Jesus attracted the outsider of the religious avoided them. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus pursues the outsider, but the religious avoid them. Second thing is Jesus pursues the outsider, but the religious avoid them. Let's go back to Luke 15. And it says, so he told them this parable. So he's responding to the religious leaders grumbling. He's responding to them. So he told them this parable. 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And then he tells a similar story straight after this one. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, in his response to the religious leaders, Jesus tells two common sense stories about what you'd normally do if you'd lost something valuable. A single sheet was definitely worth quite a bit in ancient Israel. If you lost it, you'd go after it. A silver coin was worth an entire day's wages. So either way, the stories are common sense. Who wouldn't search for something valuable if they lost it? The only reason that someone wouldn't search after it is if it really wasn't that valuable to them. You know, I searched for my dogs because I valued them. When they ran away, I didn't just walk off and shrug my shoulders. I I went after them because I loved them and I love my parents-in-law very much. The fact that the religious leaders grumbled on the sidelines reveals that they didn't value the sinners and tax collectors. You see, the lost sheep and the lost coin, they represent sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders weren't joining Jesus in his search for them because they didn't care about the sinners and tax collectors. They didn't love them. If anything, they despised them. And so they avoided them. And again, this is a challenge for those who claim to follow God because the scribes and Pharisees, they made this claim and it turned out that they were outside of what God was doing in the world through Jesus. In fact, they were opposed to what God was doing. The very group we would expect to be in God's inner circle was completely out of sync with him. And many of us here this morning are church people. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we part of God's mission in this world? Or are we just religious and comfortable with our system? Do our hearts move out in compassion to those who don't know Jesus? Or do we sidestep them and avoid them? It was the religious group, the scribes and Pharisees, who avoided the outsiders. But Jesus, the one we worship, pursued them. And this revealed his deep love for them, his compassion for them. You see, Jesus loved and valued lawbreakers, sinners, outsiders, outcasts. And if you're here this morning and you think you are too far gone, that God could never accept you, that you've missed your chance, I just want to say to you, take heart, friend. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He pursued the most irreligious people of his day. He loved to spend time with anyone who would seek his help. He wants to heal us and help us. He is searching for people who will genuinely and humbly admit their need to him. So the question is not whether he would ever accept you. That's already been answered. The question is, Are you ready to allow him to heal you? Are you ready to give up on yourself and to come to him humbly seeking his help? Are you ready to let him teach you how life should be lived and what life really looks like? A life in relationship with a good God. 
Luke 15 teaches us that Jesus really, truly loves broken, wayward, lost people. Jesus pursued the outsider. It was the religious who avoided them. And if our church is going to represent Jesus in this world, we need to be moving toward others with compassion and love. We need to resist the desire, which is very normal for people of this world, to avoid people who we find annoying, different, difficult, wrong. We need to pursue people who have different political opinions, different cultural backgrounds, different religions, different values. We are called to follow Jesus. And so we are called to pursue the outsider. And so to that end, I want to give us a few ideas that we can apply to our own lives. I have found personally that unless I build God's mission into my life, it just falls to the wayside. You just get too busy and especially for me, I'm a pastor and I study at a Bible college. I can just get into a church bubble if I don't help myself. And so I've found that building it into my life helps me to be intentional about things. And so here are some, uh, some ideas that might be able to help you. First one is plan an, a regular event into your timetable, into your schedule. Maybe it would be, for example, um, Sean and I with our growth community, I've said this a hundred times, but on Wednesday nights, every second Wednesday night, we put on a dinner and we just invite people from the neighborhood, from our workplaces, just to have a meal together and to love people and to build friendship with them. That's something you can do. You can put on a meal. You can have a regular sporting event or join a sporting team. Or if you're a mother, you could take your little one along to a play group and love the ladies there who don't know Jesus. Or you could organize a coffee with someone that you haven't connected with for a while that you know doesn't know the love of God. And you could spend time with them, investing into them, loving them. Plan a regular event into your timetable. The second thing is set a prayer reminder. This is something we can do. We can set a prayer reminder. I don't know about you, but I like to do it on my phone, just put an alarm on. Um, that's how I pretty much remember everything in life, if I'm honest. And uh, you can put a prayer reminder on your phone that just comes up each day saying, pray for this person, or pray for your office, or for the parents around you, or whatever it might be. Pray that God would raise up more people within this church. Pray that he would move through us. We can set a prayer reminder. And the third thing is Easter. We've got Easter on the lawn coming up, and our Easter service is that same day. All of us can come together and think and pray about who it is that we can invite to the services or to the end or to the Easter on the Lawn event afterwards. This is a big event that we put on each year as a church and we do it because we want to love and value the outsider. We want to bless them. We want to give them free food, free entertainment and the opportunity to build relationship with them. So we'd ask you and invite you to join us in that and to think about who you can personally invite. Now you might be sitting here and thinking, Ben, I know I should do this, but if I'm honest, I really don't have a heart for this. All this scares me. Maybe it's just not how God's wired me, I'm not sure. But honestly, I will probably walk out of here later, get busy and forget about this whole thing. And that's a good issue for us to think about. What if we don't feel moved? What if we sat through ten sermons on this topic and our lives remain unchanged? 
What do we do? Should we just try and beat love and compassion into ourselves? Should we just try harder? Will that work? Well, the human sickness, what the Bible calls sin, is that bad that we will never want the things of God unless something radically changes. We will never be passionate about his mission if he hasn't first rescued us in his mission. Unless he deals with our sin problem and gives us new hearts and desire for him and his ways. So really, all of us are reliant on God in this room. We need him to propel us into mission. We need him to give us new hearts that love him and his ways. We need him to soften our hearts and fill us with love and compassion for others. And that's why I just love the two stories that Jesus gives us in Luke 15. Because in these stories, we learn that God takes the initiative. He is that gracious that he doesn't wait for us to pull up our bootstraps and make our way to him, but he has come to us. He searches for us and gives us the solution we need. You see, in the stories, the man and woman take the initiative. The sheep is too dumb to find its way back home, and even if it wanted to come back. The coin is lifeless. It's powerless to return to its owner. Instead, the man and woman take the initiative and go on a relentless search to find what was lost. And both the man and the woman are pictures of God. And in fact, the man was a shepherd, which was an image often used of God. Even the leaders of Israel were sometimes referred to as shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, we read that God is angry at the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, because they had abused their authority and neglected the weak. So this is how God responded to them in Ezekiel 34. He said, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. God said, I am coming on a mission. I will do what you leaders have failed to do. I will seek and save the lost. And within a few hundred years of his declaration, he did come. God took on human flesh and came into our world as the person of Jesus, seeking and saving lost people like you and me. Jesus knew how truly hopeless our situation was. He knew our sin problem deadened us to God. He saw the hundreds of millions of people who starved because of the greed of others. He saw the crowds who had gone astray, thinking that they knew best in life, only to end up feeling confused and broken. He saw the marriages and families torn apart by selfishness and pride. He saw the countless people who lived and died in slavery. He saw our disunity, our prejudice, our racism. He saw the hopeless mess we were making of ourselves and our world. So he enacted a solution that was radical enough to deal with our sin sickness. You see, all the governments of the world cannot solve our problem. But Jesus can. And our problem was that desperate that he needed to become one of us in order to redeem us from out of it. And so Jesus became one of the sheep. A human being who experienced the difficulty and pain that we experience. And he took all of your sin and all of my sin into himself. 
He removes the condemnation that hung over us by paying the penalty of ultimate shame and alienation from God. And he defeated sin's slavery over our lives by dying to sin on our behalf. You see, sin can not enslave a dead person. It doesn't have any power over a dead person. And so in 1 Peter it says this of Jesus. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And you see, this good news is what transforms us. When we understand the compassion and mercy of God toward us, the God who took the initiative, who searched us out, we cannot help but be moved with compassion toward others. God has removed our condemnation. He has defeated the power of sin. And even more than that, he has given us a new power, his own spirit, who gives us fresh desire for the things of God. We don't need to beat love and compassion into ourselves. We look at the one who was beaten on our heart behalf because of his great compassion and love for us. We put our trust in him and our job is really easy. We just open our hands up and we receive. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his freedom. We receive his spirit who empowers us and gives us love for others, love for the things of God. The spirit of Jesus loves mercy. And when we allow him to control our lives, we too will grow in mercy. The problem begins when we remove Jesus from the picture. For when Jesus is removed from the heart of Christianity, it becomes tiring and burdensome. And our affections become disordered. Instead of loving God and loving people, we end up loving ourselves, loving religion, loving law-keeping. We end up like the religious scribes and Pharisees. And this is what leads us to our third point. Jesus loves people. The religious love law-keeping. Jesus loves people, but the religious love law-keeping. Look at Jesus' heart with me again in the first story about the lost sheep. Picture Jesus. He's the shepherd and he's lost the sheep that he loves. And so he goes out on a relentless search to find it. And this is what it says in verse 5. And when he is found it, he doesn't get angry and scold it. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When God found you and me, he didn't sit us down afterward and say, okay, you need to clean your life up now. You've got to get it right this time. No, he was filled with joy. He was filled with joy. 
And do you know what that reveals? It reveals how awesome and loving our God is. And it reveals how much he loves us. It reveals that he loves you. Receive his love. Remain in his love. Jesus rescued us by dying for us. That's some kind of love. And it's this good news that we so desperately need to hear. And the whole world needs to hear it too. I'd love to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we just stand in awe of you and your love and what you did for us. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, please move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to make these things real for us. To speak to us. To reveal the love of God. To reveal the mercy of Jesus, the compassion. We thank you that you didn't just wag your head at us, scold us, but you came after us. You did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And for this we love you. For this we worship you. And for this we want to embrace your mission. Send us out, Lord. Give us compassion for others. Give us a miraculous love that no one else has ever seen in this world. The kind of love that crosses barriers that are not normally crossed. That crosses religious barriers, cultural barriers, taboos. Lord, we want to see people come home to you. And we thank you that you have brought us home to you. Continue to lead us to yourself. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come back next week, church. We're exploring the very next section in Luke 15 where Jesus tells us the story about the prodigal son. We'll see you then.